Hey, GM and GM everyone, this is Clément from Commit, and today I'm with Arjun from Mental. Arjun, please, uh, could you introduce yourself? Sure thing. So, hey guys, I'm Arjun. Uh, I'm the head of ecosystem at Mantle. Um, and, you know, I've been in the space for some time. So, I've been in the space since 2016. I've been tracking, um, you know, started with Bitcoin, then started, you know, found Ethereum, was, was completely blown away by the idea of decentralization, and then decided to make it a career. So, I've been in ecosystem roles pretty much throughout. And uh, prior to uh, joining Mantle, I was head of BD and growth at Polygon uh, for almost about three years, um, post which I joined Mantle last November and now will be leading the ecosystem at Mantle. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so the, 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 um, this is my first question. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it's always the same for everyone. Uh, could you sell me Mantle in under 30 seconds, please? <laughs> Okay, sure. So, uh, okay, another 30 seconds. Okay, let me take a quick crack at it. Right. So Mantle is a modular layer two uh, chain built on top of Ethereum. Uh, we've, from a technology perspective, we've gone with modular design where we're working with eigenlayer for data availability. So our chain is very fast. It's very uh, efficient and it's also very low on gas fees. On top of that, we also have a, a very large treasury. So uh, we, are a, we are a blockchain with a treasury of around $2 billion and that treasury is held in a DAO with which uh, all assets are mobilized via a DAO a snapshot vote. In fact, Mantle itself was created through a DAO vote where the DAO voted to create infrastructure. And that's kind of how the chain was, you know, came about. And that's how the team was built. Um, so we're a very community focused, community owned, community governed chain. And we feel that this is how blockchains should be built. So that's just a quick brief about Mantle. Okay, awesome. Um, so you talk about Mantle having a modular architecture. Um, why is it so crucial for scalability? Got it. So this is a very interesting question. And uh, generally, as so if you look at blockchain design theory, right, how it's evolved over a period of time, um, you kind of see many parallels with how Web2 technology evolved, right? And, and we're seeing some of that in Web3. So I'll give you an example. So if you look at Web2 and if you go into, let's say, the 80s or the 90s or even the early 2000s, right, you, what we used to see was huge, like very complex monolithic softwares, right, where if you fast forward to today you uh, in Web2, you've got a, you know, entire Web2 sort of uh, infrastructure globally is today run by APIs, right? So instead of having one big piece of software, you've got 10 or 15 different like softwares, each specialized tools, you know, interacting and coordinating with each, each other via APIs. And, and this is how like enterprise software is developed today. Now, similarly in blockchain, what we saw with Bitcoin and with Ethereum as well, is that it started with monolithic design, where all the different layers of a blockchain, whether it is blockchain, uh, whether it is transaction finality, uh, transaction processing, uh, consensus, data availability, like all of these were wrapped into one monolithic piece, right? Which is kind of how it started. But what has happened is over a period of time, as blockchain scale, what we realized is that monolithic designs tend to become very complex. And, and difficult to upgrade, difficult to work with, which is where modular design essentially offers a way out where you split up the blockchain's components into different modules. And all of these modules are now interacting with each other. So this way, the system becomes more fault tolerant. You can swap out modules and in some sense, upgrade the chain continuously without any major disruptions. 
and and what this has allowed like blockchains to do ultimately is to evolve faster um it is also uh, created a situation where at every different layer now we are seeing many types of innovations so for example in a monolithic layer it's difficult for any innovation to happen since all the layers are so tightly wound together that one change in one part of the blockchain could trigger like a fault um on another part of the blockchain but with modular design what we see is that there is now a level of specialization like there are companies focused entirely on solving data availability there are companies focused on solving consensus there are companies focused on just creating different types of virtual machines uh, for ethereum so modularity has created this very interesting situation where not only do you have an architecture which is much more scalable and much easier to operate and upgrade but it's also sparked this new innovation in in each of these layers and i think this is very important because this is what will take the space forward so we are big proponents of the modular design theory and uh, so for example uh, just to give you a sense we are the only production uh, blockchain which uses eigen layer right there's literally no one else right so we've in some sense been spearheading this movement towards like building modular design and we have great confidence in our design our, our mainnet has been uh, performing really really well the fees have been low the uh, you know i think everybody who's used our blockchain has has told us given us great feedback so in some sense we've kind of proven that not only does this work uh what you will see as we continue to improve the design is that how easy it would be to upgrade and then you know continuously improve as well so so we are big believers in the modular design theory okay um so i will continue with um a compatibility uh and and layer to scaling so what are the major uh, challenges uh when it comes to ensuring like evm compatibility mm -hmm. in layer to scaling like mental mm -hmm. so um in terms of so so one of the things if i had to start to answer this question i think one of the things what you've seen is that the barrier to entry of creating your own layer 2 chain has reduced drastically like over the last couple of years like today you can have a layer 2 roll up ready in in maybe inside of a month um you know using op stack and and you know so many other like uh, solutions have come up which allow you to like quickly launch a roll up so i think this is great for the ethereum ecosystem in general that the barrier to entry of creating your own chain is really it's 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 reduced so much that with a very small team you can launch and successfully run a roll up chain um what this has also meant is that the space has also become crowded right so there are a lot of blockchains uh several times people say that there is more block space than there are applications uh in in blockchain right and we are fast getting there i would say right but but what this also means is that a very big barrier in blockchain adoption has been solved like to an extent technology now exists which is very scalable high performance it's only getting better with time with zk and you know other innovations that the next like it's possible today to build those kind of mass market killer apps where you could have hundreds of thousands if not millions of users and it would be possible um to to run uh, this kind of an application on chain um and and so i think this is like great for the space in general and uh, and what this also means is that there is a great deal of competition so obviously blockchains need to find ways to um sort of uh, or need, need to have unique properties to entice users and developers um so one of the things which what we felt would be very interesting is that we bring like a modular design to market like we wanted to bring the most cutting edge tech um to market and we want to build it in a collaborative fashion which is kind of why for data availability we're working with eigen layer instead of trying to like build it ourselves or do something like that um what we also wanted to do is we wanted to have like a very strong like sort of ecosystem support now this is very important because technology continues to evolve with time but technology in web3 is also open source 
right? Which means that the day you launch your technology, everybody has access to the same technology at the same time. So in Web3, technology cannot necessarily be a moat, right? So the only moat you'll actually have in Web3 is ecosystem. Like ecosystem is the ultimate moat in Web3, which is kind of why like ecosystem design and, and ecosystem support is super important to us. So we have a grant program. We've got an ecosystem fund. I would say every blockchain has that, but we have a much more hands-on way of working with our ecosystem. We're also doing other unique things, like we're liquid staking uh, assets from our treasury um, so that you know we can take the liquid staked asset and we can then use it for liquidity provisioning uh, projects on the chain. right? So we are lucky to have a very large treasury, which has close to about 270,000 ETH, 212 million USDC, 73 million USDT. So we've got a lot of these blue chip assets, which we can liquid stake and then you know deploy the liquid staked asset on chain to basically provide liquidity provisioning to any kind of DeFi project or any other kind of project. And the yield which we get from all of these assets, we can use for incentives on our blockchain without having to dilute our own token. So this is like very important because what you've seen in the past is that blockchains have tried to you know increase the liquidity on the chain, but they've had to sacrifice their token in the process where you have to put your token out there and your token sort of reaches while a high degree of distribution, but also a high degree of dilution. So in our case, we can prevent this dilution or, or rather slow it down drastically because we've got all these incentives coming from our liquid state assets, which you can then use to deploy on chain. Um, so I think this is kind of where our ecosystem building will be unique, where we have, you know, the ability to provide rewards for a very long period of time and sustainable rewards. Um, and apart from okay. you know, being working very closely with our ecosystem. And I think the last point I would just make is that, you know, we also work very closely with Bybit, the exchange. So we have a DAO, we okay. have the liquidity, we have the chain, and we also have a, um, an exchange which works closely with us. So we can take a developer all the way from zero to hundred, where a developer starts at zero, gets a grant, gets investment, and all the way to listing, which is a unique, like sort of, let's say, value proposition, which frankly, no one else has in the market. Um, so I think this also gives us further firepower to be able to not just attract like high quality projects, but to build blue chips of our own where we can take projects all the way through their journey from zero to words becoming like a unicorn company, which, which again is, is, is something, like I said before, it's unique only to us, uh, which is kind of like how we want to think about like ecosystem design. So I think ecosystem design and advantages are very important. This is the only way you can layer tools can differentiate themselves from each other. Now that the barrier to entry of creating a chain is gone and, and now chains really need to like figure this part out and whoever does this the best is the one which is going to be around the longest. Okay, awesome. Um, you so you mentioned uh, quite a lot about uh, the DAO. Uh, Mental mm -hmm. is based on the foundation of the DAO. Uh, mm -hmm. How are DAOs uh, changing the governance game in the blockchain ecosystem? So, you... so uh, I think it's 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 super important, right, for us to figure out these problems, right? So if you look at DAOs in general, right, I think you know everybody in the Web three space has been a big proponent of decentralized decision making. But decentralized decision making requires you to have tooling, right? Which first of all allows you to do that. Second thing is you need to have unique mechanisms, which incentivize people to also vote and make their voice heard, right? So that you know you can build like a really strong, uh, engaged community and sort of a project, which is then led by the community in some sense, you know, because that that leading part can only happen if the community is engaged and involved in the decision making process. So I cannot say that anybody is perfected governance, but it's something which we are very passionate about. And what we want to experiment with, uh, because like I said, like the genesis of Mantle itself has is through a vote, uh, through a DAO vote. So we are a community first project, no matter which way you see it. And almost all major decisions which we take within uh, Mantle are taken via snapshot. 
in fact, you can go to our website, mantle.xyz, and you can go to um, our uh, governance tab where you can see, you know, all the other tooling as well, like a delegation tool, which allows you to delegate votes. There is a treasury monitor, which allows you to see a live PNL of all the money we're spending because our, you know, all the funding which we have comes from the DAO. So I think from that perspective, what we feel is that this is how, you know, blockchains should be run. First of all, they should be owned by the community. Secondly, they should be run and governed by a community. Right. And ultimately, the community members should benefit from the value which is being created on the chain. Uh, and and if you follow these tenets to the T, then you can build an ecosystem of the future. So what we feel is that a community first approach is something which we sometimes we feel is lacking in the space because there are so many chains which are so heavily VC led that literally the community has like next to no say in, in the in the future of the project. And we don't feel that this is how blockchain or Web3 projects will be built in the future. I think all future projects are going to be community first and we want to lead the way in, in that process. And like I said, that requires us to really become very good at governance and also build all the tooling required. And and both of these things we're actively working on and you can see, um, you know, all the different tooling which we have and you can use it and you can also see how, what kind of decisions we are taking through governance and what we are not doing through governance. So for example, day-to-day -day functioning, governance would not be effective. But any major decision which involves funds, which involves... Um, assets like we have to involve the community so we we kind of evolving a mechanism and i think we'll only get better at it with time so um th this is really interesting um the, the the way you put the community first um do you think that DAOs are inherently more secure and transparent than uh, traditional corporate governance models i do feel so because number one by being on chain all activity is recorded immutably, right? So uh, whoever's voted, whoever's not voted, um, has voted with what weight, right? So you can see whoever are the holders of the assets, what voting weight they have. So I think that by itself ensures like a huge degree of transparency, even if you don't have, let's say, KYC or something like that. Like you may not need, know the user, but you can track the user. Like you can see all of the stuff on chain today uh, on who has like the highest, let's say, delegation or who has, let's say, the most like voting power and, you know, those kind of statistics. So because these are out in the open, you know, what we've also seen through our own governance that definitely it's like a lot more transparent and, and um, you know, uh, superior, I would say, in, in many ways to, um, you, you know, Web2 style uh, governance, right, which is corporate governance where you have a board and we've seen time and time again, like, you know, that kind of a model doesn't necessarily scale with time. Like, you know, companies are well run for a period of time and then board members change, CEOs change and then, you know, completely... You know, something else happens so if you give more of the control to the community like the project will just just have a longer lifespan and and you'll be able to take more effective decisions with time because as your project decentralizes more and more the voting power gets distributed right so your ability and and more importantly outside of distribution you got you are able to bring more people or other experts into into your community right so the quality of decisions which you take only increases with time and doesn't decrease um, which is, again, a very unique feature of, of the style of governance. So that's kind of why I feel that the future is community-owned governance. Like, as, as a company, this is what you should aim for. And and if you can do this effectively, then, yes, then then it's a very good chance that your company can, you know, sort of be relevant or stay alive for generations to come. Awesome. Um, got a question uh, about the, the, um, the blockchain itself. So Mantle mm -hmm. is based on Optimium, 
which is um, optimism uh, mm. or the encode base. What what, uh, what was the the main purpose of, of uh, building a chain on, on optimism uh, instead of I don't know like th there is a huge um, like trend for zk rollups for example. Yes, yes. So I think first thing we wanted to go with something which is a little more tried and tested. So I think ZK AVMs were very exciting, but if you go back to the time when we were making this decision, ZK AVMs was still like relatively untried un and untested. So what we felt is that let ZK AVMs sort of go through their own cycle of good six to nine months or like a year of you know battle testedness before we decide to make that switch. And meanwhile, what we realized with the OP stack was that it was relatively easy to use, uh, easy to modify for like uh, making it modular so that we could add eigenlayer, etc. And we also saw several teams building with OP stack. So it wasn't just us. Like, you know, in some sense, there was market ratification that, that this stack is, is, uh, is possibly amongst the best out there. So with those um, sort of technical parameters in mind, we kind of felt that, you know, OVM would be a great start for us. Now, of course, we're looking at, you know, how we can go to bedrock quickly and then how we could potentially start to um, make or start to operationalize some plans around ZK EVM as well. Uh, since we've been keeping a very close eye on, on the CK space and we do feel that, you know, maybe in a few months or possibly another six, seven months, uh, the technology could reach a point where uh, it becomes as efficient as OP stack and, and with the added advantage of instant finality and um, you don't have to, there's no seven day withdrawal, exit period, uh, all of those kind of things. So, yeah. So I think ZK VMs have a lot of potential, but it'll take a little bit of time. And on our side, we wanted to um, go with a tried and tested setup um, instead of like maybe exposing our community to a new kind of architecture which we ourselves may not understand in depth. So, yeah. Okay, and, and um, so still, like based on that, uh, what what are the biggest security concerns uh, you you have right now uh, regarding mental uh, uh, developments? Um, I think security-wise, we've got multiple audits, so I would I think uh, we're a very secure chain. I think the only maybe sticky point for some people is the Eigen implementation because Eigenlayer itself is not fully in production yet, right? So we've been working very closely with Eigenlayer, and I've written a lot of the code ourselves to make it go be production ready. Um, so because Eigen's not production ready, people sometimes think of it as a risk, but uh, there's no risk to the assets themselves what we've kind of realized. So I would say that the network is very secure. Um, I think to, for, to double down on security as well, since we're liquid staking a lot of the ETH, we can take the liquid staked ETH and restake it on um, on the mantle data availability uh, layer. And, and this means that not only will we get more yield now on all of our staked asset by restaking it, but in some sense, we are adding security to the network. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, we sort of thought about this decision and, and decided to move ahead with Eigenlayer and with the kind of configuration which we have. Um, when I look at the, the mental uh, treasury, uh, I can see that uh, most of the ETH, uh, you, you, the, the liquid staking ETH you have, uh, they, they are from Lido. Don't you think that um, it does, um, I mean, in a way, uh, it, it's, how can I say that? Um, so, you, you are 
you're participating into something like least um, decentralized because uh, as we can see, like uh, nearly 30% of the whole uh, each state are from Lido network. That's a, that's a very valid uh, point, I would say, that uh, definitely in the liquid staking space, we need greater diversity of, of protocols, right? Which is happening. We see many people building like different types of LSD protocols. So I think it's good for the space. In our case, why we decided to go with Lido is because first of all, while Lido is, I would say, maybe a little centralized, it's also very secure, right? So the security parameters and the risk controls are very high with Lido, which we saw compared to some of the other projects out there, which is kind of why we felt that Lido would be a great partner to start with. Now, we've staked 40,000 ETH with Lido, but majority of the ETH which we have, which is almost like, if I would say, in total about 267, 268,000 ETH, majority of it, a large majority of it, will be staked with our own LSD protocol. So we're building our own LSD protocol because number one, it adds diversity to the network. Secondly, we can stake our own ETH and, and get good rewards and, and essentially offer a counterbalance uh, to some of the other projects out there who may have two, two like high delegations and thereby, you know, in some sense, it, they become a risk to the network. Um, in our case, we wanted to work with the network versus against it. So that's kind of why it just makes sense for us to just have uh, our own LSD product, uh, provide like greater security to Ethereum um, we are also going to bake in MNT token utility into this as well. So the MNT token will have multiple levels of utility, not just within the chain uh, as gas fees and as the ecosystem token uh, used in all the different dApps, also on governance, but it will also have use in the uh, liquid staking product as well. Okay, because I mean, in my opinion, this is something that it is um there is a lack um when looking at some blockchains uh, i'm mm -hmm. really uh, testing all the l2s um in, in in the space right now but uh, i feel that there is some kind of lack of finding uh many um liquid uh stake uh eat they're not all they're around not those blockchains yeah they're not many big ones i think lido is definitely very big rocket pool is also quite big but they're not many, which is kind of why we want to like, you know, create one ourselves um, no, as well, right? So that, you know, there are at least four or five large players who have a significant amount of each state who can, you know, sort of who are making the decisions. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, my question was, um, could you break down what's uh, orthogonal ecosystem growth strategy for, for normies? Orthogonal growth strategy. <laughs> That's a kind of interesting way of putting it. I would just say that ultimately, and, and this I'll just speak broadly, right? So so that like, since we're saying for normies, let me explain it broadly, is that within Web3, right? Since, since we live in an open source world within Web3, right? All the technology is open source. So ecosystem building has to be done a specific way. So if you, if you were to compare, first of all, in Web2, in Web2, technology is considered IP, right? So you have intellectual property. And, and if you have certain technology, which other people don't have, it gives you a competitive edge. Right in in Web three, since technology is open source, this is not possible. Like you can have a a, a a BSL license, like you know, but but your code will still be open. Like people can see your code and iterate and improve on it. They may not be able to copy it out, right? So what it essentially does is it creates this very unique situation where there is a huge amount of iterative uh, innovation. Where people see, for example, let's say Clement has built something. I can see Clement's code and I might be like, hey, you know, I can add this extra to it to make it maybe better or make it do something different. And then, you know, that becomes sort of my code base. And then somebody else would see my code base and do something different with that. So growth strategy in this kind of a world where essentially 
everybody is sort of uh, in some sense innovating of each other's ideas collaboration is extremely important and this is kind of where i've seen that several people when they come from the web2 style of thinking sometimes struggle to sort of adopt the web3 style of thinking because you you, you have to not be protectionist in web3 in fact you have to be a lot more open and you have to be a lot more collaborative which means that you need to be able to work with other different teams and companies sometimes for critical infrastructure so for example when you look at our blockchain we are working with eigenlayer right for a block for you know creating our blockchain which is critical technology a blockchain has to have 24/7 uptime but we still partnering with someone for that because what we realize is that if you partner with people then you can focus on specific tasks and thereby be able to build something which has much much higher performance similarly in defi just to give an example like if you look at how the financial layers are built in 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 blockchain you have let's say the basics of finance which is like borrowing and lending um you would have some sort of swap which allows you to swap assets you might have some sort of stable coin issuance and then you will see other protocols build on top of that right so if you have borrowing and lending you can build leverage on top of that or possibly some other kind of protocol so protocols also build on top of each other thereby continuously being able to reuse the same let's say tvl and extract more and more value out of the same liquidity right so so web3 is very collaborative in nature so it requires you as a person to be very collaborative you as a person it requires you to be very open right so so this is kind of like the web3 style of thinking and and sometimes it can be a bit bit difficult to start thinking this way but once you do it becomes like you'll kind of understand you know why why the space is the way it is and how you can build and create value for other people and and this is what i love about web3 is that because protocols are building on top of each other everybody is winning together and and this is unique only to web3 where you don't win at the cost of others you can actually win together and and along with other uh, other companies in a collaborative fashion which i think is wonderful right because this fosters more collaboration because people realize that hey to win i need to collaborate so then i should be collaborating with as many people as i can in terms of growth strategy ultimately for any blockchain it comes down to the unique advantages which you have right so i'll give you an example so let's take mantle as an example like so we have our own liquidity where in in the dao where we have like a lot like all of these blue chip assets we have close relations with an exchange as well we built an infrastructure which is based on op stack so super developer friendly like you know you like if you're an ethereum developer you automatically like uh, a mantle uh, developer so when you have your own liquidity you have your own governance mechanism you have like close ties to an exchange this allows you to essentially build your own blue chip projects right so for example what we realized is that at mantle we have a unique power where not only can we attract other bigger projects thanks to the liquidity which we can provide but what we can do is we can build our own native projects so we should make native projects a very important strategy now this is because we have these unique gifts of of you know just the way our ecosystem is structured so depending on the kind of ecosystem structure you or, or rather the kind of let's say levers you have to play with in terms of growth hacking that's kind of where you can kind of define what your strategy needs to be or what you know what you should be doing and with us because we were born out of a dao vote we want to be very community focused like a lot of these decisions we take with the dao we could possibly take some of them ourselves but we always include the community because like like what that allows us to do is it protects you against bad decision making so i'll give an example of how this become strong with time and i tried to explain it before as well but when you have very like let's say vc led founder led chains there's always this chance that the founder starts to make bad decisions and when you have such centralized decision making those bad decisions tend to add up right this is kind of where the community comes into play now imagine if you're a founder and you're making bad decisions but you have other people around you who are who are able to tell you that don't take this decision or take this decision differently right you would not make those decisions this is why collaborative community involvement becomes very very important so what we feel is that the more we involve the community the quality of decisions we'll take will be higher over time right and and it's so important also to have 
a very strong governance mechanism within within any sort of let's say chain infrastructure game is because chains essentially are creators of new value right and especially in our case when you have an exchange as well working along with you then you can create tremendous amount of value but what we've also seen in several occasions is that some bad actors co-opt such systems and then destroy value for others. So we've seen this with the FTX collapse and with other chains as well, where you know there's so much pump and dump action going on. Like you know, retail investors are not safe. This is where having a governance body is very important because in Mantle we have our own SEC, right? Which is the DAO itself. The DAO is always watching what is happening on the chain. And if we start doing these pump and dump schemes, then the DAO, who who through a vote chose to, you know, sort of build a chain, can also choose to shut it down. Like the DAO tomorrow can decide that all of this pump and dump stuff is destroying value. We don't want this. Fire the team and close shut the chain down. They can do that via governance vote. So having a watchdog, which is decentralized in nature, right, who's constantly watching the chain and ensuring that bad practices don't take root and don't, you know, like foster within your ecosystem is very important. This is kind of why community involvement in Web3 is super important, especially in blockchains, which are creators of wealth. Because wherever you have creator, where you have like an engine which creates a lot of wealth, you need to have a very strong watchdog, you know, constantly watching that. So this is kind of why our ecosystem is built the way it is. And that's why ecosystem, like, you know, community involvement within the ecosystem, the ability to build very strong native projects, the ability to build other products like liquid staking derivatives, etc., to further augment this ecosystem so that we can basically wrap this entire ecosystem around a single token, which is the MNT token, which like I, like I was explaining earlier, was used in the chain. It's used for governance. It'll be used in the LSD protocol. And it'll be used in other protocols as well, which we build in the future. So this is kind of how we've designed it. So whatever ecosystem strategy you come up with has to be unique to you. Or, or and, and a lot of that uniqueness comes from the levers you have to play with. Now, suppose I had different levers to play with, I would have a different strategy. And this kind of shows you why different chains follow different types of strategy. So if a particular chain is following a certain type of strategy, you can kind of understand that's because of the unique ecosystem properties or advantages which they have. And which is kind of why they want to grow the way the way they are doing it right now. So that's kind of like how you think about these things and you kind of try to break it down, what you need to do, and then you kind of build from there. Okay, perfect. Um, so we are entering the second part of this podcast, uh, which is also my favorite one. Um, so it's the yay or nay questions. So um, <laughs> to, to recontextualize this, um, it's 11 questions. Uh, you have one joker, so it means that if you don't want to answer this question, we'll have 10 questions. Um, and you, as you can understand, you can only answer by yes or no. Um, they are not that tricky. It's pretty easy. It's about mental. It's about um, the blockchain ecosystem. It's about everything related to, to blockchain. Uh, are you ready? Let's go. Perfect. Um, is Mental currently fully EVM compatible? Mm, yes. Do you see Mental as a direct competitor to Optimism? Yes. Is Mental's modular architecture fully open source? Not fully, no, not yet. The Eigen DA part, we've not been able to fully open source it because Eigen itself is not in production. So, yeah. Okay. Are NFTs overrated JPEGs? <laughs> no. Are central bank digital currencies or CBDCs a threat to decentralized cryptocurrencies? Yes. Is crypto a winner takes all market? 
No. Is the flipping of Ethereum overtaking Bitcoin likely to happen someday in the future? Yes. Don't you think that there are too many L2s? <laughs> yes. Would you accept to be paid in Dodge if it becomes X, I mean, Twitter, new currency? I would prefer decentralized uh, stablecoin over Dodge. <laughs> Do you consider DeFi to be riskier than traditional finance? At the moment, yes. And this is the 11th question. Is proof of stake superior consensus mechanism compared to proof of work? I would say yes. Perfect. <laughs> 10 on 10, 11th on 11th. Congratulations, Arjun. Uh, you passed the test. You nailed it. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, thank you so much. With Optimism, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting because right now we are competitors, but we've also been watching the OP Collective story. So that's like very interesting for us, the, the super chain thing we have. And sometimes we also ask ourselves that, is this something which, you know, a direction we could think in, maybe, you know, join the collective or do something like that. So right now, we, I would say we are competitors, but I think we're very impressed with the vision of optimism. And I, it's not just us. I think a lot of chains are joining, like, you know, forces with them. So we're also trying to figure out what the next steps for us would be. I'm not saying that we would do it, but it's something we've been closely watching. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Arjun. Thank you for your time and, and your lights uh, on this podcast. Uh, and and uh, yeah, up to to uh, see you on uh, on a future episode about to, to talk about yeah um, mental uh, upcoming developments. Sounds good, and I look forward to the next conversation. Thank you, Clément. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Ah, oh, chills. Literal chills.